1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: Hello, you're listening to Nerdette from WBEZ in Chicago. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. This week, we talk with Jessica Hopper. She's the author of the first collection of criticism by a living female rock critic.
3: I mostly listened to tapes while I was delivering the newspaper.
1: Very rock and roll. All that and more this week on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something.
3: Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerd!
2: You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, here with Trisha Bobita. This week, we are joined by Jessica Hopper.
1: Her new book is The First Collection of Criticism by a Female Living Rock Critic. We think that's true. It's also the title of the book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jessica worked for Rookie. Now she's the senior editor over at Pitchfork. And editor-in-chief of the Pitchfork Review. So, Trisha, a couple of people kind of called us out asking if we can call a professional rock critic a nerd. But we've already proven that we can, right?
1: Oh, we've done it before and we'll do it again. <laughs>
2: Jessica said she wasn't obsessed with music until high school when a very important punk rock
3: mixtape came into her life. I had a Tracy Chapman tape. I listened to it a lot. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. And I mostly listened to tapes while I was delivering the newspaper. Nice. I had a paper route. Um, and then in ninth grade, I was into stuff and was sort of like listing towards the idea of punk rock. But I think I thought punk rock was something way, like way less musical. Mm. Than it was, and someone made me made me a mixtape like right at the perfect point, which was three weeks into ninth grade, where I was like, "Who am I in the context of this horrible grody teenage <laughs> <laughs> High jail School bliss?" No, teenage and I was jail. and it was a, and and the person who made me the tape was another one of the kids who was he was an outcast because of his name. His name was Andrew Siemens. I wouldn't say Aww. outcast, but I mean that's like that's Siemens standard spelling. Uh, as yeah. in uh, is like rough for ninth grade that would um, be hard but so anyways we were just sitting on the bleachers at gym class you know just a bunch of weirdos who were like I'm not dressing for gym <laughs> on <laughs> principle I don't care Yeah, like I am resisting and he just ma- he made me a uh, really good mixtape from his brother's record collection and it was just absolutely like oh oh this is what I am and this is what I'm into and, and I'm like fully co-signing. This is the music that was made for me. Yeah, this is the music that was made for me. And I got really into it. And like within a matter of six months, I had a job at a record store. I was regularly publishing a fanzine. I was writing for papers in town, doing music criticism. I was going to every show I could possibly get to on the bus and just being totally obsessed and I would just go to record stores just to see what was there and like flip through everything and just how one got an education uh, in music those days, those days being 1990. You
1: said getting there from the bus. Tell us where the bus is coming from. And what are these bus trips like when you're a teenager and you're sneaking off to go to rock concerts or not? Sneaking. I wasn't Maybe sneaking, not sneaking off. I
3: just had to be home before curfew. OK, it was a good crawl. When um, was your curfew? It was 10, which meant that I never saw more than three songs of the headliner ever bummer um and so all my favorite bands I would see like a ah, song
0: mm-hmm.
3: and then I would have to go <laughs> and if they were and if they were late I could see them uh the bus was taking me from where I lived in Minneapolis a residential neighborhood to First Avenue or to 7th Street entry in Minneapolis
1: and you were home on time that was the deal most of the time that was the deal is that you could be obsessed with rock music as long as you didn't uh, stay out all night Yeah, I mean, it was
3: like, my parents were really into grounding me all the time. (laughs) You know what I mean? But they would kind of forget after a while. And also I was like, you know, really like uh, thoroughly a latchkey child. So there was a lot of, I would have to monitor my own grounding. (laughs) You're enforcing your own
1: grounding. That's a bummer.
2: That's an interesting level of responsibility.
3: (laughs) Well, and also it was just like, the funny thing was, is because I loved my job so much, my parents would be like, if you don't basically adhere to your grounding, you don't get to go to like work next week or something. Or like, because oh, yeah. I, was,
1: <laughs> I was 16, and I was like, oh wow. gosh,
3: I don't know. And you're like, but work is good. And they were like, yes, but. Well, they had was- no, they didn't even know I had a job until I'd had it for like three months. And they're like, where have you been going? And I was like, <laughs> I have a job at the Northern Lights over in St. Paul and it's a super long bus ride. So that's why I'm like home at like nine. And I'd just been gone like every Sunday for a few weeks. Before they figured it oh, out. Oh man, that's we, amazing. Where is she? Mm, she's home by curfew. There you go. It's that's fine. Free range parenting. I'm just I guess. selling. I'm selling <laughs> condition tapes to people in East Saint Paul. I mean, you
1: could have been doing <laughs> so many worse things. Were they relieved? You think?
3: Yeah. How much trouble does one
1: get in before nine p.m. on a Sunday? I guess plenty. Yeah, you could. Yeah, all sorts of trouble. No,
3: well, and also you know, parents always think you're smoking when you're not, and all that sort right. of stuff. But, yeah. like I was very responsible. And I was very independent. My parents told me later, when I was a grown up, they said we just left you alone because you just seemed so much happier when we did.
4: <laughs> <laughs> wow! So
3: I was very independent from a fairly young age. I guess that's really sweet, right? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> I did make it to adulthood.
1: You did, and then you worked with some of the coolest teenagers around at Rookie I for did for a while. We love Rookie a lot here at Nerdette. We think of it as a kindred spirit. And one of the things I love most about it is that it's a fiercely feminist space, but one that focuses on the positive. And, like, we need the people who are, you know, arguing with people on the Internet and the Roxane Gays and everybody of the world who are just ready to sort of fight all of the fights. But I also think it's so important to have that safer space, that just more positive space as an alternative to the ugliness that is the mainstream narrative about what it is to be a teenage girl
3: it was the only place I kind of wanted to be on the internet Mm. in a lot of ways. You know, and for very much the same reasons that that you claim. And also, I really feel like Rookie was and is one of the only places on the internet that is, like you said, a place that's free of trolls and a certain kind of contention. And it's so fiercely a young and female or, you know, just non dude space yeah. <laughs> that you don't get them up in there going, well actually mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I was thinking about this yesterday because there was a there was like a long thread on um a friend who actually works on Minnesota Public Radio um posted Ariana Grande's thing from her Instagram where she said, you know, I'm really tired of being defined in relationship to Men I've dated or supposedly have dated, and you know I'm an independent woman and I believe in feminism. And quoted a Gloria Steinem quote that you know isn't like something that she grabbed off right. Tumblr. She didn't
4: Google
1: Gloria Steinem. Quote yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, it was, was
3: it was a real like deal. it was like oh, this person has some facility with this obviously, and and clear working knowledge of what feminism is and all the things that, you know, the sort of like hoops that we need our young pop stars to jump through to show us that they're feminists Um, (laughs) or real feminists. And anyway, so long Facebook thread just evolving into like how she could not really be this thing because, you know, how can a feminist have written this song? Oh, she's only 21 or like whatever, you know? And it's just like, you can't do or embody all of these things because the world has such rigid prescriptions for what a teenage girl is and can look like and what real music fandom looks like and like the authentic performance of music fandom. And rookie is a space where it doesn't see all those things as like conflicting input. Yeah. Or conflicting criteria. We can be who and how we are. I mean, and so it does make it really safe and also safe for explorations of all of those things.
2: I think that plays in, too, to the idea that often, as especially young women, our authority is questioned about things, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, when Trisha and I, two some years ago, talked about how few women there were making podcasts and why that was a thing that comes up often is that, you know, who are we to talk about? Whatever it is that we love, like why should why would there be an audience for that? And I think to the same extent, you have developed this really strong authority as a rock critic. That often, you know, if people picture a rock critic, they're not necessarily picturing
3: you. No, I'm. Uh, I I know no one can see me through their listening device. I am not fifty. I'm not a man. I'm not wearing a Wilco T-shirt. <laughs> So uh, just to to, um, liberate anyone's ideas of uh, what rock critics look like, we don't all look the same. Some of us are women. So
2: did you go through a process of wondering, were you waiting for someone to give it to you? Did you just take
3: it? How did that work for you? I knew that it was going to be very difficult to sort of uh, pry that door open. But what happened was basically I was obsessed with this band called Babes in Toyland. And at the time I was about 16. They were a local band in Minneapolis. And how the press was writing about them, you know, was that they were, like, shrieky and caustic and amateur and basically writing, like, that was a bad thing. And I was like, I thought that's what punk rock
1: was. but Right, yeah, this sounds awesome. <laughs> um,
3: and, and also it was like, you know, they were a band that really just were like, oh, I belong here too. Great, into this. Uh, and it just, you know, a band whose existence, whose mere existence underscored my own. And so I called some of the local... Music uh, papers and was like, Hey, I know that you have this article about babes and swine that you just ran, but you know, you just basically got it wrong. I would like to pen a corrective and be like, <laughs> <laughs> and handled yeah. you. And I was like, You know, I'm about to graduate out of ninth grade. And uh, you know, it was basically like, click because this is in the days when we used phones for talking, for talking. And it was like, as soon as I got that note, it was like, Okay. Well, I'm just doing this on my own accord. And because I knew then and I know even better now that if I was going to wait for permission to occupy the space to write, to publish on these bands, I would be waiting forever. I would still not be writing. (laughs) And that was that was 19 years ago. And so. I just did it. And I don't know if that was, you know, in part because I uh, grew up with a feminist mom or because I was already kind of turned on to radical punk rock feminism. And that was like the Dawn of Riot girl um, or because I was a Montessori kid and I was just naturally really autodidactic. And I just knew like, oh, I just do what I'm interested in. And that's how I learn. I don't have to know how to write before I start. I just You'll just learn. Write. You'll yeah. learn. You'll figure it out. And I and I did. And because I wasn't formally taught, I was able to have kind of a different kind of career and and get started really early and kind of be in the trenches. You know, I'm lucky that I didn't have the imposter syndrome. Yeah, I didn't have that. And so I think it just didn't hold me back. And I think because there was also times when I was a younger woman, you know, like in my 20s, where I was just before I went all the way into full time writing, where I sort of doubted, like, do I really have a place in this? Am I a real writer this darkness before the dawn and and uh, my now husband was like just sort of jump off the cliff and I did and, and the ground sort of like rose to meet me people mm. were like oh yeah no we are just waiting for you to get done doing this other stuff so that you can come right for us full time you know and that was like the Chicago Reader and the Tribune and yeah. Spin and like all these people who were like yeah no come on we're just waiting wow <laughs> and it was like oh that I wasn't like you <laughs> yeah I was in my own way yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes that those crises of confidence particularly can hold young women back. Because we look at a space that's um largely male and whether that is a workforce, whether that is like a fan base, whether that is a conference know, room. A conference yeah. room or a yeah. um a venue, a stage. And and lots of times for women I think it takes seeing somebody else who looks like them. Mhm. To go, oh, I can exist in here, too. I can picture it now. I can picture it now. Or another person like us becomes our permission slip to dream that dream. I really like your use of the phrase, pry that door open, because I think that (laughs)
2: says a lot, too, right? You know, there is that just like very distinct agency of like, no, I'm going to get my crowbar and we're going to do this. Because there's a door here or I'll make one.
3: I've had a lot of this sort of like, hey, Kool-Aid style moments in, (laughs) in my career. Just like... I'm the person jumping, jumping through the wall Mm -hmm. and leaving the Hey (laughs) guy-shaped hole. And then I was like, come on, everybody. Let's go. Let's go in here. Make a fanzine about it. (laughs) Still to come,
1: we get to know some great lady nerds of history from a woman who has written a book about them from A to Z. Stay with us.
0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious
1: 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
2: For a Great Lady Nerd of History this week, we will learn about actually some Great Lady Nerd sisters, the Grimkeets.
1: They are the letter G in the alphabet book Rat American Women from A to Z by Kate Schatz. The style of this book is gorgeous. I'm having a conundrum where I both want to keep the book intact and make everyone read it, but I also want to take every page that is an illustration and rip it out of the book and put it on the wall. They're gorgeous.
2: Ooh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but we could totally cut it up, I suppose. A to Z. Maybe we just need 26 copies. Is that what we're about to do?
1: <laughs> we would only need two because then we could just take them out of one. They're not back-to-back. This is the beauty of the book. (laughs) Oh, so you looked into it. Oh, yeah, I had a plan. (laughs) All 26 letters in this A to Z book of women of history are fascinating, and we absolutely recommend that you read the whole book. But we wanted to talk to Kate a little bit more about the letter G in this book, and that's the Grimke sisters.
5: Ally is a term that a lot of people are using, which is great but they are a real example of what a true ally is, right? It's beyond just reposting cool articles on Facebook, right? They really, they really lived it, and they are this total historical example, and I, I wanted to include that. They're an anomalous entry because there's two of them. I could not decide between Sarah or Angelina, and they're really synonymous with each other. They worked together their entire lives, and they are the oldest women in the book. They were born in the 18th century, um, the late 1700s, They resisted their parents. Their parents were slave owners. They came from extreme wealth, and they rejected it at a very early age and moved to Philadelphia. And they were really part of the early abolitionist movement. What's also remarkable about them is that they were getting down with women's suffrage years before Susan B. Anthony and the other more prominent names in the movement. And they were really some of the first women to be talking about race and gender at the same time. And they were super fierce Quakers,
1: Super fierce Quakers is a really fun phrase. That Might be a good name for my a band. Phrase, yes. <laughs> Feel really good about that. Kate says she wrote the book "Rad American Women from A to Z" for her daughter, who was about two years old at the
5: time. My house was filled with all kinds of children's books, many of which were ABC books. And I was just wanting to find something more inspiring for her. Uh, a lot of the books we had were really wonderful children's classics, but I was interested in finding something more diverse, more empowering, and I didn't really see that out there. So I, one day when she was taking a nap, I was staring at some ABC books, and it popped into my mind, like, you know, what if I just did an A to Z of radical women from history? It was one of those ideas where I started mentioning it to other people and everybody's faces just lit up and said, oh my God, you should really do that.
1: We're glad her friends convinced her to write this book. And her homework for you listeners is to help her out with the sequel.
5: I am working on the sequel to this book. And it is Rad Women Worldwide, A to Z. So we're doing an international version. And in particular, any listeners who are from Outside of the US or have lived outside of the US and want to share some of their heroes. It can be ancient times, could be contemporary, who are women all over the world who are rad. And uh, they can share them with me on our Facebook page or on Twitter. We're at Rad women A to Z.
1: If you tweet at Rad women A to Z, tweet at us too, at Nerd Podcast. We want to know about those great lady nerds of history. Yes, we do. And we've got
3: homework from Jessica Hopper the book that I would like everyone to read maybe is Sean Nelson's 33 and a third book on Joni Mitchell because there's been a lot written about Joni Mitchell and this sort of like preemptive eulogizing of mm-hmm. her because she's been in the hospital. And it keeps reminding me that there is only one good Joni book and it's that one. And it's really about his experience of watching a Joni Mitchell record liberate his mom in 1975, oh, 76. Cool. And, it's, really and it's cool. really... It doesn't even sort of matter if you like Joni Mitchell. If a record has ever really meant something to you, it is a critical work that you will be able to really get into. I think sometimes like when we think about criticism, we think about it being really, I don't want to say like dry, but like at a remove. Mm-hmm. Where we're talking about the aesthetics or we're talking about, you know, what kind of hoops it jumps through. And this is really about Loving music and seeing it transform someone and transforming your own understanding of the world. And I think in that way, that book is really easy to get into and relate to. And also, it's just fantastic writing.
1: This is now the second person under that who's given Joni Mitchell related homework. And I'm fine with that. I think it is good to reiterate that Joni Mitchell is pretty excellent to listen to
5: love came to my door with a sleeping roll and a madman's soul he thought for sure i'd seen him dancing up a river in the dark looking for a woman to call
1: Time now for Nerd Confessions.
4: Hi, this is Bird, and I'm calling with my nerd confession. So I have been obsessed with birds for my entire life and have way too many stories that I could share about being a nerd about birds. One, I was an environmental educator for 16 to 24-year-olds, and on one of our many field trips, we saw a hummingbird, and I said, oh, that's one of my favorite birds, and the students all said... They're all your favorite bird. So apparently, all birds are my favorite bird. I'm actually calling you from the trailer that I'm doing some field work studying woodpeckers and fire in Oregon. Um, anyway, thanks for your podcast. I love it, and it's definitely making my solitude in the mountains um, that much more enjoyable.
1: They're all your favorite
2: bird. I actually especially love this because I get really upset when people ask me about my favorite things because they're all my favorite things. So I can completely relate to this.
1: Oh, I just don't like birds very much. <laughs> I had no idea that you had such an aversion to birds. Have you never seen me near a bird? I kind of freak <laughs> out. I don't like birds, man. <laughs>
2: I don't think I have seen
1: you near oh, a bird. Oh, I really dislike birds. <laughs> One of my favorite friends from college
2: said this thing about how he doesn't mind country birds, but city birds are
1: just the worst. And city birds are is, the worst. Like they're the always filth. huddled yeah, plotting against us. It's the whole thing. They're basically dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, the dino I thought you would like it because the dinosaur thing. No, it makes them threatening to me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks for the bird nerd confession. We need all the rest of you to send your nerd confessions too. It's got to be about the time when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags, welcome. Call us and leave your nerd confession at 312-600-5638. You can
2: also do the really cool nifty thing with your little smarty phone where you record yourself giving your nerd confession and you can email it to us. We are nerd at gmail.com. Thanks to Jessica Hopper and Kate Schatz for joining us this week. Next week on Nerdat, Flora
1: Lichtman.
3: This is a person who goes (laughs) to the roof of the world and sleeps on the ice for weeks with his batteries in his sleeping bag because it's so cold that they'll freeze. Just like amazing dedication. And you can tell.
1: That's Flora Lichtman, the host of the excellent science podcast, The Adapters, who you might also remember from her days on Science Friday. You can hear our conversation
2: with her next week on Nerdette. The show is produced by us, Tricia Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from WBEZ's
1: Joe Disseau and his squire Brad Helm.
2: Find links to all of the things, including the sign-up thingy for our weekly email newsletter at
1: nerdatpodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you are, because, you know, you already are. But we'd appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever your favorite podcast app is. We share links to things we love on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. And we're at nerdatpodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is where Greta writes teeny tiny book reviews. They're so small. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning
2: content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org.
1: Throw some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent
2: Kay Remen did on iTunes, General Amazing Geekitude.
1: Also, Kay Remen has made me in my head have by Menon stuck in my head. I'm really? just throwing that out wow, there. Wow,
2: for how long now?
1: Uh, a few days. Good. K Remen. Wow, oh, you know what's been stuck in my head for a few days so what? I feel really good about it? What?
2: It's a patriarchy jingle.
1: <laughs> There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or you work for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework.